I made the members feel loved. I tried to make a point to know them all by name. And within four years, I turned that club around. I turned that club around from losing 200,000 to making about 200,000. Welcome to the Top Brand Builders. I'm your host, Danny Green. And the mission of the show is to learn from today's movers and shakers, the creators, the bricklayers, the people out there really doing it. My hope is that the lessons and stories shared will inspire you to go take that next step forward. So without further ado, let's get into it. We have Peter Touch on the show today. Welcome. Thank you for uh, for joining me. No, it's my pleasure. Yeah. So you have a beautiful home here. And how long have you lived here? I've lived. Thank you for one. I've lived here seven years. Then, uh, no question, this is my little slice of heaven, yeah. and I'm completely blessed to to have it. And literally every day, I thank my blessings for for this and so many of the things that I have around me. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a, a beautiful, tranquil little spot out here. So tell me a little bit about, um, so Peter Townen of Snap Fitness, and uh, before we get into the business and all that, I'm curious about your upbringing and uh, kind of the foundation. What were, what were early days like? Yeah, I was the youngest of seven kids. I have an identical twin, and so my twin and I are the youngest of seven. And we grew up a typical middle-class family in a, in a town, a rural town, probably 15, 20,000 population. So... And it was a type of town where you, you you played sports. You you know you went to school. You played sports. You went to work. You had a job. Um, my dad had a grocery store in a in our little small town, and there was no option. Was, when you got to be about eight years old, you you went to work, and that that is where the lessons started for me. To be honest with you, I used to sell popcorn in front of his little grocery store, and if you can imagine this little eight year old boy making change and my dad was like hey go out and get go out and get the business so when people come by walk by you're like would you like some popcorn right yeah. and and you're you know you're scared to death but you do it anyway because otherwise you're, you're just waiting for business to happen rather than making business happen so great lesson learning there and then also being able to watch my dad work at, at his grocery store he was the the owner of the grocery store but there was never there was never a job that he would not do. So whether it be working a checkout stand, whether it be bagging groceries and carrying someone's groceries out, because at that at that day and age, you carried we had carry out boys that brought your groceries to your car for you, right? So it was kind of old school, but it was beautiful in a way. So my dad, he he would carry groceries, he would work the till, he would work in the office. There was nothing he would not do. So I admired that about him. He was never a guy to point and 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 delegate everything. He would he didn't have a problem delegating, but but you look over your shoulder, in many cases, he's, he's going to be right there in the trenches with you, which is an admirable uh, um, um, way to do business yeah. and, and a great way to mentor. Servant leadership. Right on. So yeah. I was, I was um, you know, very thankful to have that. I, did, I wasn't so thankful at the time, but today as I reflect, no question, great, great playing field for me. So was it uh, your own motivation to go sell popcorn, or did your dad say either you're selling popcorn or you're working for me? It was that no, it was definitely my dad. But I was excited about it because all of my brothers and sisters sold popcorn as well. So okay. it was a hand-me-down business. Proven right? concept. It was a proven concept, and I knew that you know what? If I go out there and sell popcorn, I would watch these. I would watch my brothers come home and sisters come home, and and they would have ten to fifteen dollars um, at the end of the day. That was their cut. And how my dad ran the business is: you would go into the grocery store, you would buy your popcorn and your oil. And you, you, he would allow you to charge it. And at the end of the day, you'd come in with all of your money. 
and you would pay off all your supplies and he would take half and I would take half. So he had his, he would always get his cut. My dad was always getting the juice, right? So um, I didn't quite understand that. I'm like, come on, dad, I'm eight years old. I'm this many. But he was like, no, no, this is, once again, great lessons. Yeah. So, um, but watching my brothers and sisters have money, I very quickly learned that having money is better than not having money, mm. right? And if you want money, you have to go get it. You have to go work for it. So um, I put two and two together and the rest is kind of history, right? Was there uh, something that, a goal that you, you wanted to use the money on, like comic books or candy or? No, funny. The comic books, I usually shoplifted those from the grocery store. <laughs> um, the, uh, but saving the money, and we, we, I grew up in the country, so even though the town was 20,000 people, we lived eight miles out of town, so there was not a lot to spend your money on, so I was kind of a miser, right? When I went to town, I had money to go to Dairy Queen and things like that, but other than that, I saved it. And, and the way that my dad brought us up is, look, if you want something, you, you go buy it. You save your money, and you go buy it. So being looking to have a car someday that's what I was kind of saving for and I bought my first car it was $3,500 I paid cash for it and um and it was a four-door Dodge Colt nice. uh, maroon with the velour seats yeah let's right go. boom right so anyway um great memories it was mine and it worked and it got me around right yeah. so Anyway, so, so how did your uh, career in business grow from that eight-year-old kid? Um, was were you always kind of working at the grocery store? Or did that? Uh, you... Well, my my father, he he really kept things simple as a child. You were either in school, or you were working, or you were playing sports, right? So his philosophy was, I'm going to keep you busy, which with 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 any help with any luck it'll keep you out of trouble right so those were one of the three things so i was i was an athlete growing up and when i got to be about 13 years old i picked up a racquetball racket for the first time and it was a sport that just came easy to me and it came easy to me it came easy to my twin brother and we had a racquetball club in our hometown and um that was a sport that I excelled in fairly, fairly quickly, which is really was the, the door opener for me in the, in the, the health club space. Um, I had an opportunity to turn around a failing club when I, when I got to be about uh, 22 years old. Um, and, uh, and, and that was through racquetball, you know, without getting into a lot of details, I was a professional racquetball player for 12 years wow. and, um, w which was great. It allowed me to, to, to travel and see the country and for a, you know, for a guy growing up in Wilmer, Minnesota, that was a pretty good gig. Um, yeah. but you couldn't make a living at it. You wouldn't make any real money. It was just for the experience of it. And you know what? I always say that God has a plan and I think part of his plan for me was molding me to, to be in a position within the health and wellness space to, to excel in it. And um, I had just enough um, experience within the space of being in the gyms to know enough to be dangerous. I knew good service. I knew from the popcorn business how to deal with people, mm -hmm. how, to, how to make people feel comfortable and feel at home, and, and how to make them feel like I appreciated their business, which I sincerely did. So it was, you know, all those early stages of my life, I think, set the stage for me to be to for my success that I experienced later in life and I as I sit back today at 57 and look back at all of that I'm just so amazed by the the plan that was that God laid out for me mm -hmm. really am yeah I'm so blessed as far as I'm kind of curious just about the the racquetball not to go too deep into it but what's that look like is that like uh, a tournament every we uh tournament every month or like no it's it's we'd, we'd probably play 
you know, three three tournaments a month, and but there was also where you would go into clubs and put on clinics. So okay. back in that in that day and age, clubs would open up and they would bring in sponsored players. So we were sponsored by Ectalon. We would go in, and my twin brother and I were very marketable. We're identical twins. We're athletic. We're we're well spoken. So putting us in to represent their brand was an e easy fit. Mm -hmm. um, we would go in, we would play some, their best players. Then he and I would put on a, an exhibition, and and then talk about the products. So it was it was you know you you could make decent money doing that, but you you were not going to get a steady diet of it. And pretty soon you just wake up one day and you say this is, isn't going to get it done mm -hmm. right, and you move on. So were you touring nationally then? Yes. Okay, wow. Yeah. Toured nationally, and then my, my uh, twin brother and I, so my junior year in college, I decided I was going to quit college, right? Okay. And because once again, my father, if you want to go to school, I, I advocate for it, but you're going to save your money, right? You're going to pay for your own school. Back then, they had student loans, which you could apply for very easily, which I did. And I remember I had about $12,000 of student loans, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be 100 before I pay this thing off, right? So I'm sitting there one morning having breakfast with my twin brother, studying business statistics. And I look at him. I close my book. And I said, screw it. I quit. It was just like that. Those are my exact words. I think I used a different, a different word. Than, but you get the idea. Yeah. Screw it. I quit. And he says, what? And I, and looking at me, his eyes are getting a little, little bit bigger. And I said, I quit. I'm done with this shit, right? I'm not, I'm not, I'm right. I'm, I, I know that this isn't going to serve me. I know what I want to do. And, and about three minutes later, he closes his books and he says, I quit too. <laughs> so we quit the same day, wow. the same morning. And all we did, it was, it was spring semester. We continued to live in the dorm rooms. We never told anyone, really? right? We lived in the dorms and we came home in the spring, you know, like all college students do, never said anything to my mom and dad, and then just never went back in the fall. By the fall, I had moved down to Orlando, Florida, and um, I was playing racquetball down there and, and hanging out and working and just, you know, figured I was going to try something different, get away and yeah. open up my wings a little bit. And um, so that, that's what we did. It was a great experience. Yeah. So is that around like 20 years old? Yeah. Or? Okay. Exactly. So you said you opened up your first club at 22? I didn't I didn't open it. I had an opportunity. So before being a, a, a court rat, meaning I was in the club every day, right? So when I was playing racquetball, literally it was every day in there three to five hours a day, wow. right? I mean, a real huge commitment, right? But my how I'm wired, I always felt that if I wasn't playing, if I wasn't working at my game, if I was not pumping iron, sprinting and in the court doing that work that somebody else was mm -hmm. and so i i just felt like look if i'm going to play my game and i was too proud to want to go into a court and and get beat from one end to the other which was one of my first experiences in playing in a national event i got you know, i played in the junior nationals i got beat 21 2 21 3 by a kid out of detroit i just got completely smoked which is the best thing ever happened to me because I, I got to see racquetball from a diff different place. Um, but anyway, um, it's a, it's a, that's I lost where I was going with it. But yeah, no. So yeah, you you playing racquetball. So talk about the, the opportunity that uh, at twenty two, you, you somebody um, says. What, what was the opportunity oh, yeah. with the gym? Yeah, got it. So w before I before I moved down to Florida. 
before I moved to Florida, I um, talked to the owners. There was five owners. I remember having breakfast with them. I said, look, if you guys ever want to turn this club around, give me a call. Because at the time, I was literally going to go from that breakfast to hop in my car and go down to Orlando, right? Okay. And and I, I told them, I, I got to see their manager come to work every day. He was a nice guy, but he would come to work, sit back, kick his feet up, read the sports pages. He was just not, he wasn't involved in the community. He Passive. was not getting after it. Just not the type of, not the type of owner they needed. They needed someone who was going to get out there and embrace the community and go chase the business down. Anyway, I said, if you guys ever want to turn it around, give me a call. Well, about a year and a half later, I get my phone rings and it's these guys. And they say, Peter, tell you what, we'll come up here, run this club. We'll pay you 16,000 a year, 16,16, which is like poverty, right? <laughs> We're going to pay you 16,000 a year. But if you can turn this club around, will give you an opportunity to buy us out with the profits that it generates. So that was my window. That was my opportunity. And at the time, the club was losing about 200000 a year, wow. meaning that the five owners, every, every year they're reaching in their pocket, they're kicking in forty grand. right? It did not taste good. It did not feel good for them. They had had enough. So myself, getting back into that club, I, I very quickly learned um, just what it meant to, to not, not just run a business, but a failing business and being be, becoming being innovative and creative right i remember saying okay what what's my budget like what do i have for advertising things like that they're looking at me saying advertising we have no budget and we have no money right so that now you had to get creative so i said i i'm gonna start bartering right and i remember going like to carpet stores i remember going to floor to ceiling store and saying look i don't have any money but I have memberships and I'd like to trade you memberships for carpet. And I'll be damned if they didn't say, okay, right? So, and I would do a room at a time. My club was about 40,000 square feet and I, I wanted to make sure that I was impactful. So I was very, I, I thought I was very smart on how I did it. I said, look, when you walk into the club, I'm gonna make sure that the first impression you get is a great impression. And then as you get towards the back of the club, it's gonna look older, right? But my the, the the my members of the club completely started to rally around me and and pretty soon the community did as well because i was trading carpet i was trading elect, electrical work i was fixing plumbing and you know adding plants um staying in there painting on weekends i mean i was doing it all right and and the the most important component was I made the members feel loved. They knew that I appreciated their, 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 their loyalty, their membership. I tried to make a point to know them all by name. And within four years, I turned that club around. I turned that club around from losing 200,000 to making about 200,000. So, I mean, you talk about a huge swing, right? And, and the rest is history from there. As soon as I got the loan paid down, I went back to the bank got a loan, paid off all the partners, refinanced everything. And then I was off to the races. I was able to free up some cash flow. And I did that seven times. As soon as I had the the debt paid down, I'd, I'd, get, I'd expand the loan and go open another club. Now I had two clubs paying down one loan. I did that seven times, right? And then eventually sold it. I did that for 20 years and then sold them. Yeah. And how How did you know how to do all this? Was it instinct? Was it from your experience of... Uh, touring with uh, the racquetball that you saw how good clubs ran or did you have any mentors in your life that was helping guide you you know what the the biggest mentor the who left the biggest impression for me was definitely my father 
um, just because watching my dad every day go to work, I knew what a, I knew what a full day of work felt like, right? And I could see it. I, I did it myself, and I could see him doing it. And so, my dad was was um, by far my biggest mentor. Um, and in terms of the the business itself, a lot of it is common sense. To be honest with you, it's you have to. Um, lean in, understand exactly what's going on within the business, understand what's keeping the customers coming back, understand what's, what's making, what's motivating the employees to stick around and to, and to, um, adopt your passion and culture. So it's, it's leadership, it's focus, it's discipline, um, all of it. And, and it's not to say that when you have those things that it's an automatic winner, but I can tell you without those things, you stand no chance of, of winning, hmm. right? It ten, one person can't do it, and it's even the company that I built today with Lift Brands. I've had the, the good fortune of standing on the shoulders of some really amazing people over the last 15 years that literally show up every day with passion and fire in their belly to go chase it with me. Yeah. And I love, I love that about them. Yeah. Being around the right people really helps motivate you to keep going. And, and mentoring, you know what, as a, as a CEO and a founder of a brand, mentoring is part of it. And I get so disappointed in some people that have successful businesses, but, they've, they, but they're weak on the mentoring side. And you know that you can mentor. I mean, some of the people that work for me at Lyft Brands, one of the guys came from a bakery he was a baker. Wow. One guy came. He was a. I mean, I've had several people that were bartenders, yeah. right? These are not people that were focused in the wellness space, but we we simple we we dummied it down so much and made it so bulletproof that we said, look, just stay in your lane and you've got this, right? And when people would make a mistake, which everyone does, you 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 don't you don't throttle them. You pull them aside and say, look, you know what? We're, we're better than this. Here's how we're going to do it moving forward and make sure they understand it. But you're almost playing more of a father figure and a friend to them, but saying, look, you know what? You've got this, right? Mm -hmm. I believe in you. You've got this. And that's why today, many of them still work at the company. Now, some of them have transitioned out since I left in January, but um, we had an amazing amazing business with amazing people yeah with your with your team from such an eclectic background what was the common thread that you saw in in those people i think everyone you know what we were really a passionate bunch so our product was very simple in nature when after i sold all my full service clubs i did that for 20 years full service with indoor pools and racquetball and aerobic classes and child care the whole gamut right um when i sold that stepped away from it um, I, w I was approached by one of my employees. He said, would you ever consider building another club? I'll rent it for you. I know that you're not interested in getting back into this thing full time, but would you consider it? And that was the catalyst behind me to putting some thought behind what if I got rid of, what if I d didn't put in the swimming pools? Because the clubs were you know, seven plus figures to build, right? Mm -hmm. There were million plus dollar clubs. So I started pulling things out. What happens if I pull out the swimming pool? What happens if I get get rid of aerobic classes and childcare and climbing walls and these type of things? Pretty soon, this club was three to 4,000 square feet. Instead of 50 employees, I had two. Mm. And I just said, look, I'm going to offer a great cardio, great strength, and selectorized equipment. So everything you need 
to get fit I'm going to have. I'm going to have the bases covered. I'm going to be 24-hour access, no contract. So my, my, you belong to one, you belong to them all. So my product offering was strong. It was $35 a month. And, and my battle cry was, look, if, if, if I don't deliver on my promise, you just quit. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to shackle you to a contract. And I always get a kick out of it when, when clubs make you sign a contract, they lock you in for 12 months, whether, whether they suck at what they do or not. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, give me a break. It's right. a health club membership. If I, can't, if I can't show you value every day, you should be able to quit, no questions asked, and it's on me. I agree. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my employees, I believe, loved and adopted that same culture. They say, they say look, you know what, Peter? He's a fair, he's a fair guy. He's 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 put a lot of thought into how we're going to launch this brand, and and we launched it well. And you know, had, had somebody asked me, "Hey Peter, did you ever think you'd have twenty five hundred clubs?" And I get asked that question often. You know, had you asked me that fifteen years ago, I would have said probably not. But I knew that I had the ability to do it. And that's the difference, right? Now here that I am, now standing here today that I've done that, um, number one, I give huge thanks to, to God for just putting me in the right place at the right time and having the right mentors in my life and, and just driving that business and the, and the right people. My gosh, right? Because it was literally the perfect storm. I remember in 2000, it was either 2007 or 2008, we opened 377 stores in one year. Wow. I was opening more than one store a day, right? That's Which amazing. Which unfathomable, right? Yeah. But we did it because we had systems and processes. And you know what? Had you walked into the corporate office, you would not see people running around with their hair on fire. Everyone was very good. So the process that I set up was very scalable. And, and when one, when one uh, department within the chain would get weak, we would just add another resource, add another person to it. So it was, it was a well-thought-out model, and we executed it beautifully. Yeah. I mean, you make it sound like it's easy and anybody could do it, but there had to have been some sort of hurdles or, or character-building moments or just some things where you probably thought, I don't know what I'm doing. What would I get myself into? I would imagine. I don't yeah, know. There, you know what? There's certainly character-building moments, and 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 that's the beauty of character building moments rear their head in business at home in your relationships right so there were the biggest lesson that i learned probably in the in character building moments you know um putting yourself in compromising positions which is getting into business or or launching a new a new concept within your concept without enough capital mm. or underestimating the um, the human resources that it's going to take to execute, right? Those, by having a lack of any of those things adds to fear or stress, right? So are they character building moments? Absolutely. But if you learn by them, it's worth it, right? And if, and if you learn by it and you're able to fight through it without being on the backs of your franchisees or your employees, um, those are great moments. And, um, and those, as I said before, those moments, they rear their head in life, in relationships, or, or at work. Yeah. Well, does a failure come to mind that you, like, I'm thinking a failure that you learned the most from, or something where... Yeah, well, you know what, it's, it's two different businesses. Number one, the, the first investment I ever made with my life savings, it was a, a, a fellow racquetball player, convinced me to, to give him $24,000, which literally was my life savings, right? 
in and it was a uh, in a, a mutual fund that dealt in real estate. And long story short, he had my money for a couple of years, and I remember getting the call that hey, you know what, we've lost all your money. They literally lost all but about twelve hundred dollars, and it felt like somebody punched me in the stomach. Right? I remember that moment, and I'm like, oh my gosh, everything I've worked for my whole life just went up in smoke. Wow. Okay. And I was probably, you know, 25 years old, right? 20, 24, 25. So it was a, man, character building moment. That was one, right? Um, and I, I learned from that. I, and a, a lot of my investment style today, I, I think about that moment and, and my, the discipline that I have today, I reflect back on that and I, and I hold true to it. Um, the other would be like within Snap Fitness, um, when I was doing uh, an IT project, as an example, today, almost everything you do, I mean, health clubs today, it, it's beyond faster treadmills, heavier weights. It's so much more than that. It's about um, connecting with your member. And now you're connecting through member with members digitally. So consequently, or subsequently, most of your um, development is in IT and IT is like the moving target, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I know enough to know what I don't know. So I hire people that are supposed to know, but still you get scope creep on projects and I'm, I'm not kidding you. You know, I've IT to me, if you, if you factor in, if you just say it's going to take twice as long and cost two to three times as much, you're probably going to be safe. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? For yeah. real? Yeah. And, and then all the road rash that comes with it. And you talk about stress and, you know, that's the kind of stuff that drives me crazy because the whole time you're talking to your members, telling them this new product launch is coming, it's going to do all these amazing things. And, and eight months later, you still haven't launched it, right? So you just, it's beyond having egg on your face. It's like having a chicken on your head, mm. right? It's, yeah. It's just, you've got the whole thing. It's bad news. Yeah. So how do you assess... I, I think a, a natural lead would be like this, your decision-making process or how you assess risk or how, how do you make big decisions? Well, today when I'm making a big, big decision, back then, back in the day when I started, all the big decisions were, were made by me. You try to collaborate, but I mean, keep in mind your collaboration of, of people was a, a very short bullpen. You know, the bullpen yeah. was not very deep. Yeah. And, and at the time, keep in mind, I had 20 plus years of experience. So I, I would kind of use, use people as a sounding board just to confirm that what I'm thinking was right, that I hadn't lost my mind. Mm. Right. Um, but today we have probably six to eight people that are very smart in their own right, in their own lane that are that that specialize in certain areas within within our company. So getting that group together um, and and bouncing ideas off or or if I'm questioning something, getting the feel from the from the group. At the end of the day, you still have to make the call and you have to own the call. But I think more of a collaboration in today's day and age is probably going to serve you better than 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 sh doing everything from the hip, right? So th that's my management style today. Um, and there's also so many unbelievable resources that are available that weren't even available 15 years ago. So right. I think leverage your resources, leverage your people, and then make a decision and own it, right? Don't limp in, own it. Yeah. Because your employees are going to look to you. And if they see hesitation, if they see doubt, that makes people uneasy, hmm. right? Yep. So 
you know, own it. And if you can't own it, then don't make the decision yet, right? Get to a point where you can own it. Got it. So you collaborate with others, but then at the end of the day, you take full responsibility. For sure. And you can't, you can't pass the buck, you know, you, you can't pass the buck on the, the decisions that are made. Um, and, and there are sometimes when, when you, things happen within a company as a company grows and there's more accountability where, for instance, as accounting, you know, I'm not looking at every, I don't, I'm not looking at how every document is prepared and those things. There's just not enough hours in the day. So you hire talented people there, but still at the end of the day, the CEO, you're signing your name on the dotted line that the tax return is yours and it's accurate. Right. But you have people that are, that are CPAs and they're very, very smart and they're CFOs and, and you know, that, that's why you hire highly skilled people like that. So uh, you built this amazing empire of, um, 2,000, 3,000 different store, um, gyms? Yeah, today we have about 6,000 6, locations wow. of, between Snap Fitness, Nine Round, and Fitness On Demand. We have roughly 6,000 locations or subscriptions um, in 26, 27 countries. It changes every, every quarter. Yeah. So a big decision was that you decided to step down. Yeah. yeah. And talk a little bit about that. Well, it, it was time, it was, you know, it was ready. And my partners are private equity guys out of New York. And how private equity works, they make an investment in a company. And this is my second partner, the, uh, that's the, the second time that I've sold my, I've sold parts of my company twice. Um, the first private equity group, they held it for about five years and then they, they sold their, their money. Cause at some point in time they have to turn their investment back into cash. Mm. That's how it works. And so right now with, with my partner's, they're, they've they've held on to it now for five five plus years. In another couple of years, it's going to be time for them to 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 flip it, and there'll be a new private equity partner. I knew at that time that I was not I didn't want to continue. I've been in the business now for thirty five years, wow. and I want to try something else. You know what? I've had such a blessed life. I want to spend the rest. I'm, I look at the next fifty years on how do I want to live that, which which we can talk about at some point if you'd like. But um, stepping away, I wanted to make sure that I had the right successor in place. That when we sell the company, we can still tell the private equity company, look. The founder and CEO, he's been away for two years. The company is still growing its EBITDA. There's still lots of opportunity worldwide. So it's just a better narrative when you go to the street to sell the the, the next chunk of the business. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, yeah, let's touch on it. What what do you uh, what's the next mission or what's your what do you feel passionate about now? Yeah. Because you're a passionate guy. I am. I'm totally passionate and I feel that it's time um, for me to just re- reconnect for 35 years. So what is the road rash of being a CEO? What is the road rash of being a founder um, and and a, a serial entrepreneur, right? The, the road rash is you get so focused and so committed to what you're doing because failure, you're, you almost become obsessed with it. So relationships with friends suffer, Mm. you know, some dear friendships that I have had over the year that you don't have. Sometimes your relationships can suffer with your spouse or your kids or all of it because there's only so many hours in a day. And so for me, the next 50 years, reconnecting with with my kids, reconnecting with friends, um, giving back, it's a big big, um, thought of mine today is how, how do I want to show up for the next 50 years with all these blessings that I have? How am I going to give back and live a life with purpose and meaningful? I feel that 
God didn't do all this just for, for me to have nice cars and live in a beautiful home, right? Mm-hmm. It's, be, it's so much more than that. And I, and I realize that now. Since I've stepped away, I've, I've gotten into the good book more. I've, and, um, you know, a very dear friend of mine, um, she helped, you know, with my walk. So she kind of got me pointed in the right direction. So that I, that I really appreciate. But I know that, I've, uh, that there's something out there that I've got to do. And I don't know quite yet what it is, but I know it's going to be with purpose and giving back and changing lives in, in God's name. That's the plan anyway. Amen. Right? That's awesome. What a blessing yeah. to be able to do that. But I have to do it because otherwise it's, otherwise it's just a waste, right? I think. I, yeah, think, I, mean, I, think, it's a, I think it would be a complete waste for me to have all these blessings and have so much potential and so much passion to not take that potential of passion and focus it towards helping others. So that's what I'm looking at. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah. That seems to be a common theme. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm a big Tony Robbins fan and his thing is living is giving. And uh, sure. at the point where you don't have to... Um, worry about you know finances or all that stuff is set up it seems like it's natural even with people that aren't of like a a certain faith or anything it's it's like something in the human spirit wants to give back and right so that's great it sounds like maybe you're going through kind of an exploratory season where you something you 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 just kind of test different things and see what kind of speaks to your heart it's really you know what the last the last um year for me has been a real a real experience right um real real reflective um business wise it's been that's one side of it that the personal life too you know you um you think that you have things figured out and you're heading a place with with someone and sometimes things take a different turn and so you know trying to figure that piece about you're asking yourself why and and because you you plan a life together and di- the dynamics change and the life was about the two of you giving back and all this these philanthropic themes in the name of god right and but if it's meant to be it's going to happen if it's not it's not but either way you, you press ahead so perseverance and tenacity goes a long way not just in business but your personal life as well yeah so you've been mentioning God, and uh, has He play? Is that kind of where you find your source of strength and inspiration? And has that been something that you've uh, relied on through your career? I, I have. I mean, I've embarrassingly for me, I've always believed in God my whole life. Um, I didn't go to church, and not that that makes you a Christian, but um, it, as as I got older. And as I had children, and I'm around it more, and you're thoughtful, and as these ble- the blessings come, you're thinking, wow, you know, why me, right? And that's a fair question. Why, why so much to one person? So for me, that's where I'm at. I've been, have I been a, a religious guy or a Christian? I've been a Christian my whole life, and 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 thankful that I have it. I think it's it's it helps with your moral compass, right? And um, but it's. You know, ha- having that and and resort falling back to God. What's embarrassing for me is I tend I tend to turn to God more. The more I the more I'm hurting, the more I turn to Him, mm. which completely pisses me off. 
right? Because I'm so much better than that, right? And and I, I almost get embarrassed because I, I talk to God like he's sitting right next to me in the chair, right? And, you know, I ask for strength and help me help me get through this. And um, and he always does. He never gives mm-hmm. us more than we can't handle. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I was such a, uh, to me, moving forward, how I live the rest of my life is going to be much different than I lived the last the last 50 yeah, for sure, right? Well, yeah, and we're always growing and always learning always, more, and yeah. for sure, growing and thankful, and give me strength and sorry and grace and all of it, right? Yeah, less judgmental, just saying, look, just it's it's you know it's really pretty easy when you read the Bible. Life is pretty easy. Just just be kind, be loving, be helpful, help the underdog, right? So kind of common sense and kind of how I grew up. And I'll share a quick story with my father, a lesson that I learned early on. When I was about eight years old, I'm walking by selling popcorn, and I walk by the office where my dad was, and my dad is sitting there, and he's got his elbows on his knees. He's sitting in a chair, elbows on his knees, leaning forward, and there's a man sitting in a chair in a long um, trench coat. And my dad had a real stern look on his face. And, and you know, the, I, I didn't go into the office because I knew there was serious business going on in there. Uh, when the gentleman left, I, I go into my dad's office and I say, Dad, what, what, what was that all about? Right? In my little eight-year-old voice. And my dad says, son, he was shoplifting. And I said, shoplifting? He was stealing stuff. And my dad says, yeah. And I said, what did he steal? Well, he, he stole a bunch of steaks in the meat department. And in this, in this trench coat, he had, he had sewn in inside pockets and he had it full of food, right? And I said, so what did you do, Dad? Did you call the police, right? And my dad says, no, I, I gave him the stakes, right? So that for me, as I sat there and, and absorbed that, that was, that was love, that was kindness, that was grace, right? Yeah. And that's, that stuck with me t- to today, Right, yeah. it's a beautiful story yeah. that I was so fortunate to learn at such an early age. Wow! Yeah, it's good stuff. Your dad sounds like an amazing man. He's a stud. Yeah. Eighty-seven-year-old stud. He's a rancher in South Dakota. <laughs> After my mom died uh, about fourteen years ago, he, um, he just said, "You know, I'm screw it. I'm gonna I'm gonna do what I love." So he, he bought a ranch out in South Dakota. He's been there ever since. Loves it. Wow! Yeah, total stud though. Love him. He's a he's a man's man too, which yeah. I which I love even more. You know, straight shooting guy. Don't dance. Don't mince words, Dad. Give it to me straight, right? Yeah. I, I love that. Yeah. That's a great quality. Yeah, I love that too. Sometimes Minnesota nice can uh, it can confuse me. You know, right? it's like, do you actually like what I'm saying, or are you just being nice to me? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I appreciate uh, the straightforwardness. Right. Well, let's uh, pivot a little bit and just uh, maybe lighten it up. As far as I'm curious about, like. What's your what's your workout routine look like? What's uh what's a typical day of at the gym? So for me, I've been I started working out when I was probably twelve or thirteen. No joke, twelve or thirteen, and I never stopped. Wow. Okay, I've never stopped, and um, today I train five to six days a week, but only for never more than an hour, right? So I do a lot of interval training. So when I start. It's fairly intense. Um, I'll, I'll only do one or two sets per body part, and I do a full body workout every workout. And and people say, Peter, that's not how you do it. And and here's here's my my fallback on that. I don't care who you are, whatever is working for you, do it, because mm. everyone's wired a little bit differently. But for me, 
I, I get in, I do interval training on my cardio. I'll sprint for a minute, walk for a minute, sprint for a minute, walk, do that for 20 minutes. Okay. Right. That's it. And then, and then I go into my full body workout and I go from one machine to the next and my heart rate stays elevated. So I'm probably theoretically getting a good 45 to 50 minutes of cardio because it, it never goes to, to the arresting heart rate. Um, but I, when I'm done, I feel like I've got a pump on and I feel that, uh, th that I'm ready for the day. Yeah. But with that said, you'll never out exercise a bad diet. Okay. So people say, Peter, how do you stay so lean and, and, and in shape? Right. Well, I tell you what, it's accountability. And, you know, some people say, oh, Peter, you're neurotic. I tell them, you know what? Don't confuse neurotic with just discipline, right? Discipline and accountability. I like that. Which works in business. It works in your relationships. And it, it, it sure as hell works in fitness, right? So for me, it's not about, when I hear about people spending two hours in the gym, I'm like, come on, right? Uh, 45 minutes of it is talking, right? Because you couldn't physically do it. But here nor there, I'm not here to judge. But for me, I eat fairly clean, but I don't beat myself up. If I, if I want dessert, I have dessert, right? But I get on the scale every day. I weigh myself. And for me, my, my fighter weight is 178 to about 182. That's my range. And people say, wow, that's a, that's a narrow gap. It's really not, right? If you weigh yourself every day, if, and if I get to about 184, then I, I, I just dial it back a little bit. And if I get below 178, I turn it up a little bit. Mm. I start eating more because I, for me, for my frame, I don't want to be, I don't want to be one, less than 178, but it gives me great vascularity. I'm, I, I'm light on my feet. Um, and literally today, so I'm 57 to, and you know, I still, I do, I do pull-ups. I can do like this just the other day. I do seven, anywhere from 16 to 18 pull-ups. Wow. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm as fast as flexible and as strong as I was when I was 30 but I'm consistent, right? And, and I don't allow myself to say, oh, you're 57. That's a cop-out. Yep. It is a complete cop-out. And I can tell you, if you continue to exercise and keep yourself self flexible and eat clean and eat right and you know, don't overindulge, you can, you, you can live a long time, but better yet, it can just be an awesome quality of life as well. So I can run circles around people half my age, and I do it every day. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you do... Uh do you incorporate flexibility in like a yoga routine or anything or what's that? I would love to, but I'm so horrible at yoga. I've done it four times and I'm, I'm fortunate that they don't toss me out because I'm literally falling all over. But I have a, a stretching machine up, up here in my home. But stretching is an important part of it. And for some reason, I've always maintained a certain level of flexibility. Mm. Don't ask me why, but I've, I've never been the kind of guy that gets really stiff, right? So I'm always fairly flexible. That's my issue. I'm a, I'm like a ply board, you know, and uh, yeah. I've had dealt with some injuries and I, I need to, I think, get into this. Flexibility helps. Yeah. It really does. Yeah. Do you, are you a guy that listens to music during the gym? I listen to music. I listen to a lot of motivational stuff, believe it or not. I know that's kind of corny. So I listen to, I'm the most boring guy. I, I listen to a lot of um, Christian music now, yeah. you know, yeah. just within the last year. I listen to a lot of Christian music, Christian mixes. Right. Sure. Uh, I listen to a lot of motivational stuff, but then you know when I when I want other kind of music, I I love old school. I love country. Yeah. You know, I really I love everything except um, probably hard rap or you know opera. You know, is probably not my jam either. Right. Right. 
Yeah. But I'm flexible. I mean, good music is good music. And it's not yeah. that I don't appreciate those other two. It's just that it just, just is not my thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. I listen to a lot of Christian music too when I work out. And yeah. uh, actually, just, I don't know, funny little story. I mean, I used to really listen to like the hardcore gangster rap when I was lifting and pumping iron and stuff. And then I, I ran this uh, marathon and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to for the, my whole training period, I'm only gonna, I'm gonna run this out of love instead of like running, like run from a place of lightness rather than run from a place of darkness. I love and it. So it was all Christian music and, uh, and Christian music, it gets a bad rap. I think there's some pretty good stuff for out sure. there. For sure. Yeah. No, for sure. You I mean, know, there's, I, there's cheesy stuff out there too, but every genre has cheesy stuff. Yeah. So I'm with you. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. It yeah. feels good when you're done working out and it's like, all right, yeah, I feel... Yeah, and you know what? With today, with for me, with Spotify, you can just go to Christian music, and you can get every type of Christian music you want. And you would never know some of the stuff that most of the stuff that I listen to. You would never know it's Christian music, right? You'd you'd never know. Yep. You know. Yep. So what's the what's the um, athletic accomplishment that you look back on in your uh, your life thus thus far that you feel the most proud about? Um. I think it'd be it would be racquetball for sure. You know, at one time I I took second in the nationals, um, which you know was a, a pretty big milestone for me, right? So my twin brother and I, wow, yeah, that was a big deal. You know, being ranked second in the country, um, pretty big deal, kind so of were, surreal. Were you and your twin brother kind of like a, uh, Serena and Venus, where it was? We were, you know, and one, we're, we're identical mere twins, which wow. is kind of kind of crazy. It's it's a little twin trivia. I don't know if you ever saw the movie Slumdog Millionaire, but this oh, is yeah. a Slumdog Millionaire question. Yeah. So um, mere twins is the rarest form of twins there are. So my hair goes one way, his goes the other. One's, one's right-handed, one's left-handed. So we're like mere images of each other. Wow. Right, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Which works well in a racquetball court. One's right-handed, one's left-handed, right? So yeah. you've got power from both sides of the court, and we were both really athletic and so it was it was fun you know a great time great time of our lives we 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 played so hard with so much passion and fire that uh you know it was just what what a beautiful what a beautiful experience yeah take this question either way um what in life these days brings you the most joy or when do you find yourself the most inspired well i can tell you um what brings me the most joy is and I and I struggled to find that and that's in my re, in my um, stepping down as a CEO. I refuse to say retirement. By the way, we got to think of a new word, right? May transition. So as I'm yeah. transitioning, um, you do a, a lot of reflecting, and I know this that giving back for me um, lights my heart up, right? So I, I I intend to do more of that. So giving back is what I feel good about myself. And I feel good for for when I see the smiles of the people that I'm that I'm having an effect on. So that that's what inspire that that's what what motivates me, inspires. Um, but what's probably one of the most rewarding things that that I've been blessed with is when you start a company and you start with a handful of employees, right? I mean, we're talking about grassroots company where literally it's yourself and you're answering the phone and you're doing the work and, you know, as much as you'd like to disguise your voice so people think you have a receptionist, uh, Peter, it's you. Yeah. yeah, it's you, Peter. So chill with the accent or whatever the hell it is you're trying to do. So, you know, but as you grow a company 
and and it starts to take off and you're saying i've got lightning in a bottle here so i am going to focus on it what you do and then as it grows and you're bringing people on to me when employees grow with you and you see them buy their first brand new car right and they're so proud they're beaming from ear to ear and if they could just scream they would they're so excited right or when they uh, the couple uh, they get married right which is a big step and for men a lot of them say well you know i got to financially be ready that's just a, that that's just a man flaw that we mm-hmm. all have right and so putting a putting a person in a place where they're comfortable where they're saying look i'm going to get married and then they they start having a children right how rewarding you get to see that they buy their first home so you talk about a gift right i don't i don't wish any of those moments away and i don't i think about every one of them i think about my employees today and many of them are they're married now with kids and they got little ones and they bought houses and they've moved and the, and the car i mean they're doing it yeah they're living it and they're doing it and they're good people and that is the best yeah the best by far now one one or two more questions and then uh, wrap things up but just a question juxtaposed to that um that i like asking i think find it interesting no pressure but what's the what's the closest you've come to death closest i've come to death um I was driving, riding my, my Harley Davidson. Uh, I was on, it was about seven in the morning. I was driving uh, to the golf course. So I had golf shorts on. Okay. Golf shorts, golf shirt, um, no helmet, right? Fonzie never wore a helmet, right? right? So, so stupid. Anyway, a, a lady pulled out in front of me at an intersection and I had to lay my bike down. So I laid my bike down, but I was surfing on it. If you can envision me standing on my Harley and the thing is sliding across the asphalt. She pulled out in front. It all happened so fast. She pulled out in front of me, maybe what well, was probably 30 feet away. So there was point, there was no swerving. It's, it's going down. So I laid the bike down. I'm surfing. The bike slides under the car. I fly over the trunk and I end, I end up by the, by the driver's side front tire. Okay. And I had, and when I was sliding across the asphalt, all that, all that was touching the asphalt was my elbow and one of my butt cheeks, right? And I was laying, and, and so when I came to a stop, I rolled onto my stomach, and I, and I stood up, and I'm thinking, I'll be damned. I'm okay, right? Wow. I'm okay. And the lady never got out of her car. She rolls her window down. She says, oh, my gosh, are you okay? And I said, I think I am, right? I was probably in a little bit of shock because I was. I mean, I just flew probably 15 feet in the air, you know, slid across the asphalt, didn't hit my head. Um, and I walked to the back of the car, and I, and I pulled my Harley out from under the back of her car. And as soon as I got it free, she took off. She left, right? Wow. So, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't blame her. It's okay, right? I forgive her. But um, that was by far the the closest walk of death in fact i i pulled my bike off to the side i had to walk about 100 yards to a tom thumb i used their phone to to call a flatbed to get my motorcycle when i came back the highway patrol was there and people were walking the ditch they were looking for me in the ditch and i and and i said i'm the guy on a motorcycle the officer says you were on this motorcycle because the thing was all jacked up they had to literally come with a flatbed and put it on it and all I got out of it was I had a huge raspberry on my butt and my elbow. 
So, I mean, that was yeah. divine intervention at its yeah. finest. So God was not ready to take me yet. Yeah. How old were you? Boy, I was probably 28. Okay. Yeah. So, so a while ago. For sure. Yeah. Did, that, I, did that change the way that you approached life or that you... Uh... Not, 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 not that I, the way I changed, I, I approached life, but it was definitely a surreal moment for me. And, um, I, I certainly, it, it changed the way I rode motorcycle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I you never, riding? yeah, I, I'm still, I still ride, but I ride it much differently today, mm-hmm. right? I'm much more chill. And even I was chill there. I mean, she just flat out didn't see me. It was an accident and, um, but you know, you gotta be careful on them because let's face it, motorcycles are hard to see. Yeah. Right. So I, I forgive her. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, Peter, I just want to say, I got one last question, but before I ask you, just uh, thank you so much for taking the time and coming on the show and, and really just being so authentic and cracking open your heart. And yeah. uh, it really was a pleasure talking with you and um, always inspirational when you uh, meet somebody that has accomplished so much, but still is so, um, relatable and down to earth and uh, hum- Thank humble you. as well. You know, I learned uh, humility and I, I learned from a, a couple of good friends, but, but uh, you know, my father for sure, humble man. And I always say money doesn't make the man. And, and it's such a true statement. You know, it's so disheartening when some people have been blessed so much. And for some reason they feel that that's an, a, 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 an alley or a road to entitlement and, um, condescending and that's just such an ugly quality so you know i'd really try not to ever never ever show those types of qualities that that's not who that's not how i want to show up mm-hmm. and you know and that's what i want to do moving forward so i love doing interviews like this i i really do and i hope that people can find some level of inspiration i know when when i speak at carlson school of business i i tell the class hey look i'm living the american dream i am living proof that it's alive and well because you're looking at a guy that went to school in a two-room schoolhouse, okay? Two-room schoolhouse, couldn't find his ass with both hands, right? Quit college, but with sheer grit and no quit, I can do this, confidence, right? You persevere. And what do you do? I, let's, let's face it, I mean, and I'm not bragging, I'm just laying it out there. I built one of the largest wellness brands in the world, Right? out of Little Wilmer, Minnesota. So God bless it. Anyone can do it. You just have to fight, Yeah. right? So what I want to do, part of what I want to do in the next 50, 50 years, it's funny, a, a week ago, I just set up my YouTube channel. So I'm going to start giving little sound bites. And I don't know if anyone cares to listen to it or not, right? They're gonna, they can follow me on Instagram. but And I'm not trying to be some big social media guy, but I say, hey, look, you know what? I have a lot of life experiences that I want to share. And if somebody can pull a nugget out of one of those experiences, God bless it. Because yeah. I've had a lot of them, and there had to be a reason for it. So one thing I'll always be is genuine and straight. Look, I'm flawed. We all are. And I take the good, the bad with the ugly. I own it all. Yeah. No, that's great. Wow. Well, my last question is kind of along those lines. Is You've, you've uh, taken the road less traveled, and you've had a full life. And is there one thing that you've learned along the way that uh, – sticks out in your mind that you want to leave with the listeners? Yeah, I'll I'll tell you one. And and people ask me, you know, do you have any regrets? So the one regret that I have in it is living your life and, you know, chasing success, 
right? And for me, when I chased success, what, what was I ch- chasing? I was chasing a lifestyle, right? I loved what I did. That just happened to be good fortune. But I was chasing a lifestyle, which I think many people do. But the one thing I, I tell people is I, I wish I had danced more. And I say that figuratively because I was so preoccupied with providing for my family and providing for myself and chasing that dream that, that some of the life experiences along the way I probably um, sacrificed. And, you know, we, ne- we can never look back, right? So that's why I say the, the next 50 years for me, I'm going to live a heck of a lot different than I lived the last 50, much more purposeful and intentional. Um, but once again, don't, don't live with regret of, you know, experience it all. Yeah. Don't spread yourself too thin. Perfect. Well, here's the dancing. Right? I love that. Yeah, yeah. thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Right, well, Peter, thanks so much for coming on yeah. the show. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.